everyone, and welcome back to Crisis of Crime. I'm your host, Rachel Means, and I'm a criminologist. Thank you so much for joining me for my weekly podcast where I discuss the issues facing our criminal justice system. Today, I want to talk about the news and entertainment media and how it affects crime and criminal justice policy. I'll be discussing the media's direct effect on crime, bias in crime reporting, and how the news media influences criminal justice policy. I want to thank Twitter user at Nanthiswar187 for requesting this topic. Let's go ahead and jump in. What is the direct effect of media on crime? Well, there's two different schools of thought regarding how the media directly affects crime. There is the Great Aggression Model, or GAM, which is also known as the Catalyst Theory, and then there is the Rudder Theory. So the Great Aggression Model, or the Catalyst Theory, is the belief that media coverage of violent crimes triggers aggression in individuals leading to more crime. And this can be in TV shows or in the news. So for example, if someone were to see a news story about a woman being followed home and raped by a stranger, it would then inspire the viewer to want to go out and do the same thing, even though they hadn't had any criminal tendencies in the past. The Great Aggression Model also believes that people seeing violent crime on television or in entertainment media will cause people to be more apathetic towards others who are suffering, such as victims, meaning that potential criminals will be less likely to empathize with potential victims. Instead, they'll be apathetic and dehumanizing, causing them to be more violent criminals. Now, there is very little evidence to support the Great Aggression Model or the Catalyst Theory. There is some evidence to support that violent video games trigger aggression in children, but the research is still lacking. So the Rudder Theory contradicts the Great Aggression Model or the Catalyst Theory. Because the Rudder Theory suggests that media coverage doesn't trigger crime, but instead provides stylistic ideas to criminals or future criminals. It's called the Rudder Theory because the media is steering offenders to commit crimes in a certain way as they are depicted on TV, whether through news or entertainment. And I want to be clear that this theory suggests that everyone who is committing a crime would have done it either way, seeing violent crimes on the media or not, but they're just getting ideas of how to carry out their crimes from the media. And there's a lot of evidence to back up this theory, such as interviews with prison inmates who say they were inspired to commit their crimes in a certain way because that's how they saw it on TV. Another way that the Rudder theory contradicts the Great Aggression model is that it suggests that media coverage of violent crimes does not reduce empathy for victims. Now, while the Rudder theory suggests that media provides stylistic choices for offenders, it also suggests that the media produces copycat criminals. And copycat criminals commit crimes as a form of imitation for other notorious criminals. And of course, they say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. So essentially, copycat criminals are idolizing other notorious criminals and are attempting to recreate their iconic crimes. The biggest difference between the original criminal and the copycat criminal is that the original had their own individual motivations for their crimes, while the copycat is only interested in gaining fame, the same way the original notorious criminal did in the news after they committed their crimes. Therefore, the copycat criminal tends to be less careful and more likely to get caught for their crimes. 
For example, Eddie Sita was a copycat killer who modeled his crimes after the Zodiac Killer by killing people based on their Zodiac sign, as well as sending cryptic messages to the NYPD. And while the Zodiac Killer was never found, Eddie Sita, who was after fame, was eventually caught and sentenced to 232 years in prison. Another example was Terry Jardin, who drew his inspiration from the movie Scream. He visited a female neighbor and started making sexual advances, and when she rejected him, he left the room and returned wearing the same costume as the killer from the Scream movie, and proceeded to stab her 30 times. Afterward, he called a friend of his father's and confessed. So Jardin had no intention of getting away with this crime, but instead, he wanted to become famous for recreating the crime from the movie Scream. He was later sentenced to life in prison with no parole. We also see this copycat phenomenon with mass shooters. Psychologists believe that one of the biggest motivators for mass shooters is that they will become infamous, with everyone knowing their face and name for all time because that's what they see happening with other mass shooters. So potential mass shooters will idolize these notorious figures and aim to go down in history the same way. For example, after the Columbine school shooting in 1999, Multiple other school shooters since then have been found to be copycats of the Columbine shooters. Authorities know this because they find evidence left behind suggesting that the offender was idolizing and studying the Columbine shooters. Bias in crime reporting. Is it something that really happens or just a common misconception? Well, before we dive into that question, we have to ask, what are news media outlets at their core? Well, they're businesses, and their number one goal is to make money. And how do they do that? They need high ratings and increased viewership. Therefore, it's in the news media's best interest to report on stories that are going to get the most views. And those stories in regard to crime tend to be coverage of the most controversial crimes with the most shocking victims. Violent crimes have reduced by half since they peaked in 1991, yet the news media coverage of violent crimes would suggest otherwise. For example, in 1990, New York City had 2,605 murders, and the New York Times had headlines mentioning murder 129 times. But in 2013, there were only 413 murders in New York City. But the New York Times had headlines mentioning murder 135 times. So even though the murder rate dropped by 85%, the mentions of murders in the New York Times headlines essentially stayed the same. Now, not only does the news media cherry-pick the most violent and controversial crimes, they also disproportionately report on crimes by black and brown individuals against white individuals. A study found that a printed news outlet in Ohio would often report on murders where the offender was a black man and the victim was a white woman. Now, it is true that black men are the most common type of offender for murder, but white women are the least common victims of murder. Therefore, this news outlet is perpetuating the centuries-old stereotype that black men are targeting white women. In fact, a Los Angeles study found that only about 10% of crimes involve a black offender and a white victim. Yet, that scenario makes up around 42% of all televised cases. 
And because of that, studies show that the general public overestimates Black individuals' involvement in crime by about 25%, especially when it comes to burglaries and drug crimes. When a Black offender is shown on the news, they are generally shown in custody and their name is not given. This allows for viewers to generalize the entire Black race as being criminal, especially Black men. And this is because they're not giving him a name, so he could be any Black man. Opposed to if the offender is white, their name is given, and the news usually shows a picture of them before they were in custody, possibly something from their Facebook page. And this allows viewers to associate that crime with that certain individual, rather than generalizing an entire population for that crime. Additionally, the media rarely reports on crimes where the victims are people of color. This has led to widespread apathy among white populations, which has developed an increased support for punitive punishments, such as mandatory minimums. And those mandatory minimums are part of the reason that we have the crisis of mass incarceration that we see today. Bias in crime reporting has only been made worse with politicians using dog whistle racism as a political tactic during campaigns. And dog whistle refers to the type of controversial speech that is used to reach a particular audience without raising alarm from onlookers. It can be compared to using code words to send a message to a candidate's target audience. Most famously, George H.W. Bush used this tactic when he was running against the former governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis. Let's go ahead and listen to Bush's 1988 campaign ad for his presidency, and then we'll discuss it a bit further. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. Now, Willie Horton was a black man. The campaign highlights this by showing his mugshot. And the victims that he stabbed and raped were white. Therefore, George H.W. Bush is perpetuating this idea of black-on-white crime, further instilling fear in white voters and pushing them to vote for the candidate that's going to be tough on crime. Additionally, George H.W. Bush is inferring that Michael Dukakis is going to let dangerous criminals out of prison to kill and rape whomever they please. It's no surprise that Bush won in a landslide after this ad came out against Dukakis. President Trump used the same tactics during his campaign and has continued using them throughout his presidency. Let's listen to a clip of him talking about Mexican immigrants during his presidential campaign. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. So in this clip, Trump is suggesting that Mexican immigrants are criminals. His goal was to instill fear in American voters, specifically white voters, and to push for stricter immigration laws. Now, Trump was taking a page straight from Bush's playbook and saying that this is a huge 
dangerous issue that needs reforming, and I'm the only one that can fix it. Now, it's true that nothing will drive people to the polls the same way that fear will. So in the next section, we're going to talk about how Trump was able to influence the news media to report so heavily on the topic of immigration, which ultimately helped him win the election. Now, in the first section, we talked about the media's direct effect on crime, but the media actually has a much bigger effect on the public's perception of crime, such as the way that bias in crime reporting changes the public perception of the criminal landscape in America. And it's important that we acknowledge this perception because it's going to be what shapes voters' opinions regarding criminal justice policies and reforms. A 2006 study found that 81% of the public base their ideas on the status of crime in the United States off of sources such as TV news, newspapers, and now social media, rather than their own direct experiences. And there's very strong evidence to suggest that what people see as the biggest criminal justice issues are the ones that are being highlighted on the news media most often. So this is really where we get more into the politics behind criminal justice policy and reform. I want to talk about two tactics that are used in the media, and that's agenda setting and priming. Agenda setting is the media's ability to direct the public's attention towards a certain issue, and this is even more intensified if the news treats that issue as a lead story. For example, Say a news outlet is reporting on a story that a caravan of immigrants is currently making their way to the U.S.-Mexico border looking for asylum. And suppose that that's the lead story for an entire week straight. You can bet that that's going to be a topic on every viewer's mind. Priming is the media's ability to affect the criteria by which viewers will judge public policies, public figures, and candidates for office. For example, the news media rallying support for a candidate for president based on their stance on immigration. So it all works hand in hand. First, we have Donald Trump saying Mexican immigrants are criminals and rapists. Then the news media reports on Mexican immigrants coming to cross the U.S. border. So now viewers are afraid of Mexican immigrants, and they've just been told that they're headed our way. Then the media will say that immigration policy needs to change to keep the dangerous criminals out of our country. Then, insert Donald Trump, campaigning saying he will create stricter immigration laws and will build the wall, which of course became a slogan of his campaign. This cycle can be compared to a dance that political candidates and politicians do with the news media to rally support for their agendas. This is especially apparent since many news outlets have an allegiance to a certain political party. Now, the same use of agenda setting and priming can be seen in fictional crime dramas on television as well. Issues that are displayed more prominently in these shows tend to be thought of as more important issues in the eyes of their viewers. For example, someone who watches Law & Order SVU will likely have an inflated sense of how often sex crimes are happening and will be more adamant about criminal justice policy reforms that help deter these types of crimes. This phenomenon tends to only be seen when the show itself is about crime, rather than the show about something else who has a crime occur in a single episode. So, while someone who watches Law & Order SVU will agree that sex crimes need to be addressed by lawmakers, The viewers of the Grey's Anatomy episode that involved a mass shooter will not suddenly develop different views on gun control based on that episode alone. 
Now, all of this really raises the question of what are the biggest issues facing our criminal justice system today? Because generally what we're seeing on the news media is there to support a particular left or right leaning political agenda. So how can you ensure that you're getting your news from an unbiased source? Well, it starts with where you're getting your news from. A recent study showed that the most biased news outlets were Fox News, Breitbart News, and MSNBC, while the most unbiased news outlets were PBS News, the Associated Press, and NPR, or National Public Radio. The key difference between the two groups of news outlets is that the biased ones are for-profit, while the unbiased ones are not-for-profit. So essentially, Fox News and Breitbart are funded by conservatives, which is why they have a conservative political agenda, and meanwhile, MSNBC is funded by liberals, and there you see a liberal political agenda. Additionally, getting news from social media can also be misleading. Once again, like many news media outlets, online news sources are businesses at their core and require viewers to make money, and one of the ways to ensure viewers is to have controversial clickable titles, also known as clickbait. Now with a simple Google search, we can find out if a particular online news media outlet is a reputable source and whether it has any political bias. Now, once we start getting our information from unbiased news sources and coverage of crimes and criminal justice policy reforms from a neutral standpoint, we can start to think for ourselves and develop our own opinions of how we should be steering the conversation around criminal justice reforms. All right, folks, so that's everything I wanted to cover today in regards to news and entertainment media and how it affects crime and criminal justice policy. So what are your thoughts on the news media? Have you noticed any bias in crime reporting? Or perhaps you've seen agenda setting and priming for criminal justice policy reform regarding the upcoming presidential election. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter, as well as request any topics for future episodes. You can find me at Crisis of Crime, or you can send me an email at crisisofcrime at gmail.com. As always, I look forward to hearing from you. If you want to check out any of my sources for today's episode, they are listed in the description below. I hope everyone has a safe holiday weekend, and until next time, this has been Crisis of Crime.